0: No more to sab, go So it's time to uh, give the uh, monthly Dhamma reflection on the verse that appears on our calendar for this month which is Dhammapada verse 43 and says neither mother, father nor any family member can give the blessings that your own well-directed heart can give. So the um, the Buddha is pointing out this principle, this truth of uh, where to find the, the greatest benefit or the greatest good. And in this particular situation he's saying neither mother, father nor any family member can give you the blessings or the benefit or the goodness that your own well-directed heart can give you. So it raises the question of uh, what is a well-directed heart? That's one question it raises. Now in many religious disciplines and, and the time of the Buddha and throughout all times and in this time also there are uh, plenty of people around who are ready to tell us what we should believe in or in what direction our heart should be oriented or what is really important, what's the most important thing in life. You should be doing this, you should believe in that. And so we have uh, various religious dogmas that purport to uh, tell us what's most important. And yet one of the characteristics of the Buddha's teaching is that there is no dogma. Uh, there are truths which the Buddha said he realized and encouraged us to uh, heed his uh, shared understanding and encouragement, but it wasn't dogma to be merely believed in. And right then he pointed and out said that, you know, all I can do is point the way and so the direction that the Buddha pointed in is the direction that he's encouraging us to go but he's uh, he can't walk the way for us and he can't uh, make us look in that direction but he's saying that, that the greatest benefit in life is gained uh, from finding that direction for ourselves so yes we can listen to what others say but ultimately we need to find that direction for ourselves and walk it so as i was saying as is characteristic of the buddhist teaching is not a dogma to be believed in but we're encouraged to ask questions for ourselves to ask you know what what are my deepest concerns in life what am i most concerned about mm-hmm. i know for myself this was one of the most attractive things about the buddhist teaching when i was 18 or 19 or something or 20 and, and we came across a Buddhist book that I was given at the time and, and realized that the Buddha didn't mind if you ask questions. In fact, he encouraged people to ask questions. He wanted people to ask questions. In fact, he even went as far as to, to be critical of people who had questions but didn't ask them. Because we all do have real questions in our hearts. In our heart of hearts, we have real deep concerns, things that we're really interested in and matter to us and part of the spiritual life uh, essential part of the spiritual life as far as the Buddha is concerned is recognizing those deep questions that we have and drawing them out drawing them out so they become conscious and then they give a direction to our life so it's not this teaching that uh, the greatest benefit comes from a a well directed heart it's something the Buddha spoke about not just on one occasion uh, it's not that we're just looking out there for what that direction is, but we're looking inwards to listen, to find how our heart needs to be oriented if we're going to be finding that, which is most important. Uh, so yes, we do listen to others, but we need to also listen inwardly. Uh, one of the most famous, there's this Dhammapada verse, verse 43, but there's also a very famous uh, scripture, sutta, that the Buddha taught and many of us are familiar with, they, Mahamangala Sutta, the Discourse on Great Blessings. And very early on in that discourse, the Buddha talks about Atta Samapaniticca, which is, again, the same thing. oneself self-rightly directed, Samapaniti. Rightly directed. So, so to find out for ourselves, what does it mean to be rightly directed? What are our real concerns? And so if we ask ourselves, this is the... This is the direction to start off. Well, what matters to me? Of course, there are things that that I'm concerned about, like I'm concerned about the environment. I think uh, it's a great pity that uh, in such a short period of time, uh, we human beings have uh, made a big mess of the planet. Uh, For a very long time, the planet operated in a fairly balanced way, but in recent history, the result of uh, how unintelligent use of fossil fuels and imbalanced lifestyle, whether we believe in global warming or not, certainly the imbalanced lifestyle has made a bit of a mess of this otherwise beautiful planet. I Many trees have gone, and the, there's acres and mega-acres of miles, square miles of plastic floating around in the ocean, and uh, the fish are feeding on and dying, and the fish are running out. And I heard that recently Prince Charles said, soon you won't be able to eat fish and chips anymore because there won't be any fish. Well, not being able to eat fish is not a disaster, but the fact that the planet's uh, ecosystems have gone out of balance is seriously bad news. So I could say, yes, this really matters. I'm concerned about the environment. But is this the thing that I'm most concerned about? Now, when I'm dying, does it really matter to me these acres of plastic floating around in the Pacific? Well, it sort of matters. It does matter. But I suspect that when people are dying, that's not the thing they're really thinking about. When you go to sleep at night, yes, you could be worried about the acres of plastic floating around in the ocean, but maybe there's other things we think about, like, for instance, relationships. We can have the most altruistic attitudes towards saving the planet and be feeling very good about our wholesome aspirations or maintaining a balanced environment, but when it comes to having disappointment in relationships, where our closest friendships have been threatened, uh, or our heart has been broken, then all our aspirations for outer concerns become rather secondary. Or the other direction, fall in love. falling in love can be a very disruptive experience and and, uh, one's concerns about the environment or or various other things we might be concerned about can get completely sidetracked if we fall passionately in love. So in other words, matters of the heart, if we're honest, matters of the heart do seem to be calling for more attention than a lot of our ideas and ideals that we might have. So this is uh, part of finding our own right direction, when the heart is rightly directed or rightly oriented, not to be told by other people or popular concerns, just because it's popular to be concerned about this or that, or politics or health, these things, physical health can be a real concern, but however concerned we are about our health, well, basically, eventually it's going to fail us, we're going to get old and... So being totally concerned about our health, that can't be it either. Being totally concerned about our friends and our family, that can't be it either, because no matter how concerned and how much attention we pay to it, there's always misunderstandings. Being totally concerned about the beauty of life, the beautiful music. You you can be going to the, the most amazing rock festival and hearing the most amazing bands or the most beautiful orchestra the most competent orchestra playing, the most beautiful Bach or Mozart or or Chopin or subtle, sophisticated, sensual pleasures there might be, if we're suffering from a broken heart, then those things also don't really matter so much. So these matters of the heart, these concerns of the heart, are something we need to look into and find out how can we how, well that really matters doesn't it, that question how can we live in this world and be not broken by it how can we live with friends with concerns about the environment with concerns about health with, you know, how can we deal with these matters and yet not be broken by them not be defined by them because they're always changing all these, all these dimensions of life, as relevant, as relatively important as they might be, one characteristic of them is they're always changing. You know, sometimes they're agreeable, sometimes they're disagreeable. Sometimes they work in the way we hoped and sometimes they don't. How can we accord with this changing nature of life? Now this sounds like a really good question. How can we accord with this changing nature of life as it is, most naturally, without being broken by it, or without being drawn down by it. Because we have to live in this world. Now, some people do think that the heart rightly directed means that you can just float above the world and you can become so holy and and so lofty that you don't feel anything. Well, that's not the Buddha's take on things. The Buddha realized that there there are... um, Agreeable and disagreeable circumstances and we do have to live in this world and whoever we are, wherever we are uh, even in his case in the Buddha got old and he had arthritis in his back and would sit in the morning sun and warm his back and be relieved from the pain And, and or when his closest friend Sariputta Moggallana died and he expressed his, his feelings at the time by saying it's like the sun and the moon have gone out of the sky Now that doesn't sound like somebody doesn't feel anything. So for those who believe that the most important aspects of life is to rise above the world and not feel anything, well, you know, one can wish them luck, but that's certainly not the uh, Buddha's encouragement. That's not what he meant by being rightly directed. So it's not about not feeling things. It's not about not caring. It's not about not saying some things matter. Things do matter in life. But what is it, in my heart of hearts, that I'm most concerned about? Now, if we begin to ask this question, then this is is the characteristic of the contemplative life. This is the nature of somebody who's taking responsibility for their spiritual life. A lot of teachings, spiritual teachings, around the time of the Buddha would basically take away the power of the individual, take away the authority of the individual, and would tell them, do this, would give them the dogma and say, believe in this. And the Buddha himself did that for for several years. He followed this teacher and that teacher, did what they said and realized some benefit, but didn't actually find the... didn't get to the heart of the matter. In his heart of hearts, there was still a sense of discontentment. And so he kept asking this question what is the root cause of this discontentment? Until that inquiry for the Buddha took him to realizing that there was something very important, something profoundly important, about the way he was relating to desire itself. He'd never stopped and really looked at that before. He'd been following desires, desire to get rid of his anger and desire to get rid of his greed and desire to become an expert. I mean, as a, as a prince in the palace, he was an expert at everything, and learning and archery and, and study and, and philosophy. He was an expert at all of it. And then he became an expert spiritual adept and uh, expert at everything and expert at concentration meditation and and so on. But all of this time he was basically following something that was keeping him discontented. He was following desire. He was caught up in desire. And when he'd exhausted this, but the question still remained, this really important question in his heart of hearts is, what is at the root of my discontentment? He was taking full responsibility for his spiritual life. He'd, He'd basically given up on all other teachers And uh, and to the point where his friends had left him, they said, well, he's not following any spiritual path anymore, so all his friends had left him. So he was left there. All he had left was this deep burning question of what is the root of this discontentment in my life? And looking into that, we're told that because of the power of his interest and the, the purity of his interest, it wasn't just for selfish motivation. One of the motivations that the Buddha had when he, he went out to seek the answer to this question of where, what is the source of discontentment and suffering in the world, one of his motivations was, if I can find the answer to this, then I can bring benefit to others. So it wasn't a completely selfish motivation. It was partly selfish, but it wasn't completely selfish. And so for his own benefit and for the benefit of others, he was concerned deeply concerned, and he knew he was deeply concerned. This really matters to me. You know, what is it that is happening or I'm doing that's creating this content- discontentment until he found the answer to it? and So then all the Buddhist teachings came from that answer that he discovered. But once he discovered that answer, yes, he formulated he talked about the Four Noble Truths and how our wrong relationship to desire, how our clinging to desire is the cause of suffering once he'd realized that but he didn't ask us to believe it he didn't say don't didn't say believe in me he said look into this this is the direction that i encourage you to look and he pointed in that direction but he didn't want us to focus on his finger now you notice if like if for instance if you if you're trying to get a dog to look in a certain direction and you're pointing in a certain direction, and you're getting the dog, look in that direction, look in that direction, and you want the dog to look in that direction, the dog won't look in that direction, it'll look at your finger. Because dogs don't have the intelligence to extrapolate and empathise with what you're doing and follow your intention to look in that direction. They just look at your finger. And that's unfortunately unintelligent and the cause of a lot of suffering for dogs. But also cause a lot of suffering for human beings when instead of really listening to what the spiritual teacher said and go in that direction, we're busy focusing on the finger. We make a religious idol out of the finger and we bow down to the finger, thinking that somehow that's going to release us from suffering. That's going to give us the goodness, the benefit that we're longing for. Uh, But the Buddha's encouragement was, the heart rightly directed means you've got to actually ask for yourself, what is the right direction? You've got to get to know for yourself what is the right direction And then walk in it. So these are some hints at how to find for ourselves what does it mean to have a heart rightly directed. The Buddha recommended looking into the actual relationship we have with wanting. He didn't say wanting is wrong, because even wanting to not have wanting, even the desire to not have desire is still desire. So, for instance, trying to get rid of desire is not it but rather getting so interested in our relationship with desire, our relationship with wanting, that the heart and the mind become more and more one-pointed, more and more focused. Yes, all these other concerns are important. Yes, wanting to free the planet from pollution is important. Wanting to have harmonious relationships is important. Wanting to live a life of health and physical contentment is important. But what is more important, what is most important, what is the the deepest question in our hearts, we need to go very, very carefully, very subtly, feeling for that question. Otherwise, we'll always be dependent upon other people's opinion about what's really important. And then we're giving our power to religious authorities, secular authorities, political authorities, whatever authorities out there. And we give our power away to these external authorities, and then we don't have that power, we don't have that energy, to ask our own deep, meaningful questions. So, as I'm saying, these are some hints at how to identify, recognize that there is a right direction. There are wrong directions. We can be heading off in completely the wrong direction. Going, believing what somebody else has said for us. We can become some devotee of some guru somewhere or whatever and giving them a lot of money or, or getting enthusiastic about some philosophy and totally obsessed by it, but it's not really giving us a sense of, of deep contentment and aliveness and awareness, uh, which is what in our heart of hearts we're really looking for. So to find the way to ask a question and then to give ourselves to it. So, so to realize there is a right direction to go towards, to really have faith and confidence in that, And then to find the skillful ways for giving ourselves to that, to walking that. How to find skillful ways? Because we get so easily distracted. Under right circumstances, when we're in good company, we're peaceful, or we've read a good book, or we've heard some interesting spiritual discourse, we might be inspired and uplifted to think, yes, there is a right direction. Yes, there are heart concerns that we really need to attend to. All the other concerns, we attend to those, but this one we also give quality attention to. And we might get that feeling and that conviction and be very committed to it for five minutes or ten minutes or one day or, or maybe even a few weeks. But then we get distracted again. So fortunately, the uh, the Buddha and all the great teachers um, didn't just encourage us to realize the uh, connect with the faith we have that there is a right direction and to orient our lives towards it, orient our hearts towards it, uh, but also gave us some skillful means. And so the Buddha talked about things that help us remember. How to help us remember to stay on track. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, he gave us, the traditional practice and in all Buddhist uh teachings is the, the recognition of place of moral precepts. Yeah. Now you know, most people generally like to think that they're reasonably moral but as life goes by and uh, we find we're surrounded by people that, that uh, are compromising boundaries and, and it's very easy to get pulled into that. This is uh, in that verse I quoted before you know, one's, right, one's life rightly directed to be rightly directed towards the goal, to be focused on that, Uh, if we don't have a commitment to that orientation, then we can get pulled into uh, abusive behavior, bullying, insulting, humiliating, uh, dishonest behavior, taking what's not ours, uh, greedy, aggressive behavior, and then if we're not careful, we can end up then telling ourselves lies about it, like, you know, I didn't really mean it. Somebody was telling me the other day how they had uh, gotten angry at, was uh, a father said he got angry at his son, and he couldn't forgive himself for it. This was many years ago, and he just couldn't forgive himself for having gotten so angry at his son, blown up at him, and, and said some unkind things to him, and So he'd apologised and put himself down and and tried to explain how hopeless he was as a father and all the rest of it. Uh, But still he couldn't forgive himself. And and partly in the course of the conversation we were having, what uh, became apparent was that he was telling himself, and I think probably even told his son, that he didn't really mean it when he said what he said, which was very hurtful. He didn't really mean it. Well, the truth is that when we say something unkind, on some level, to some degree, we do mean it. Uh, to, on some level, to some degree, we are actually trying to hurt somebody. And so, to follow this path of being rightly direct, we need to be impeccably honest. Or to be committed to be becoming impeccably honest. You know, we can't suddenly become impeccably honest. We all have we all have habits of avoidance of truth, unfortunately. And and therein lies the cause of so much of our suffering. So to have a commitment to moral precepts, to not just be so, well, I'm sort of moral, you know, I try to do right, but to really set boundaries and say, no, I set this boundary, I accept these precepts the Buddha gave, the five moral precepts, I accept this, and I intend to live within these boundaries. I intend to not cross these boundaries and cause harm to other living beings. And then, having made that commitment, accepted the skillful means to help keeping our life rightly directed, having accepted this skillful means, then when we come close to a boundary or we cross it, we know it. So it's not like some external authority is condemning us for having made a mistake, but we establish this boundary clearly in our hearts and minds so we know this is this is the boundary and then when we come close to we go, oops, no, no, I'm I i do not want to go there. I don't want to go I don't want to do something that's going to cause harm to living beings. So moral precepts are very helpful and to establish them consciously and intentionally. And also, there are various rituals. Now, a lot of Westerners, uh, uh, overly intellectualized, uh, rational uh, Westerners because of our education, don't necessarily get to see that there's a lot of power in symbols in rituals. If one is... um, for those who are sufficiently well-established on the path, well, then uh, there's no longer the need to be using rituals and symbols. But for the rest of us, then rituals and symbols do are very useful. You, know, you, can, you could think, for instance, like you, know, you think about the power of poetry. You know, why do people love poetry? The language of poetry is not the same linear logical left-brain language that a scientist might use. You know, scientists might be talking about daffodils over in the Lake District, and you'll get a certain impression. But if you read Wordsworth talking about daffodils in the Lake District, you'll get a different impression. The heart will be impressed in a different way. It's a different language. Well, likewise, the language of symbols, the language of rituals, it's a different language. And if we engage in this language of rituals, like bowing, uh, chanting, making offerings... Now, these are not rational, lineal, logical, left-brained relationship with, with the Buddha. We don't believe that that bronze Buddha image has somehow got literal power over us, but by bowing to it, by making offerings to it, by, by chanting words of praise and appreciation and gratitude, what happens is we orient our hearts in a certain direction. We trust that there is truth. There is order behind this chaos, the chaos which becomes apparent to us from time to time, when we meet crisis in our life and and we just can't make sense of anything anymore. There is this apparent chaos, but behind the apparent chaos, we have trust that there is order, even when we can't necessarily see the truth, can't feel order, can't feel what's meaningful in life anymore, if our hearts are rightly directed, if we have faith, if we have confidence in this truth behind the apparent chaos of life, then there's something that buoys us up, something that sustains us. Now personally, in my own experience of practice over the years and observation of others is that this is really important to understand the place of, of ritual language the use, skillful use of symbols, not to give all our power away to symbols and not to project onto rituals all our heart power and become so attached to our Buddha image that when some Taliban comes along and blows it up that we have a heart attack and, or we go to war against them. Well, that's a mistake. That's an abuse of process. That's an abuse of ritual. That's an abuse of symbols. But skillful use of symbols, skillful use of rituals, skillful use of precepts. Uh, these are conventional uh, structures which the Buddha and all the great teachers have held up, not as an end in themselves, it's not about becoming good. And becoming good is not, you know, aiming our life to just become good, that's not it either. Yeah, because even if we focus on being good, what's going to happen when? Bad stuff comes up into our heart and mind. We've all got bad stuff in our hearts and minds. If we can't study and learn to see and see through and beyond and let go of the bad stuff, then we're not going to realize what the Buddha realized, which is the source of all real discontentment, uh, which is, as I was saying before, according to his insight, his understanding, this wrong relationship with desire. But once again, the heart rightly directed is not to just grasp that oh the Buddha believed in this and so I'm going to become a Buddhist and, and then align ourselves with that teaching and thinking that's what it means to be have a heart rightly directed uh, no, something more subtle much more subtle than that so thank you very much this evening for your attention